0: Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Romans, and after taking a couple of weeks off here at the beginning of the month, I want to jump back into this letter that we've been studying together. If you are visiting with us today, we've been studying this uh, um, classic letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul for the last uh, two or three years now, and uh, we were getting to the very end and just really have a few more uh, verses to look at, a few more messages uh, from this letter. Uh, uh, life-changing uh, study. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a, a more of a lengthy section, but uh, as I've studied this, it just seems to all go together. There's a common theme uh, weave throughout this, and so I'm going to try to get through it all this morning. And so uh, I may have to hit like two times, you know, to watch a a video on uh, YouTube, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take a whole hour, so you put it on double time, and you can watch it in 30 30 minutes instead, Uh, so I might do that this morning, so if you feel like I'm talking faster, uh, that's what's kind of driving me, and uh, hopefully I won't lose you along the way, but let's look at the text first, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 15, and we're going to be reading to the end of the chapter, Romans chapter 15, verse 15 Paul says this, but I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often, prevented, uh, been, been, often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me, to, for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints." For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for, the, for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father, thank you for this great Study that we've been uh, privileged to, to have. Uh, we've been on a journey here for several years now, and it's just been rich, and we've learned so much, and uh, there's so much more we have to learn, even in these uh, final uh, chapters. And so, would you uh, be gracious to us now by your Spirit, uh, the same Spirit that inspired Paul to write these words, uh, that He would now illuminate our minds to understand these words and to make application of them to our lives? Help us not just to of your word, but doers, uh, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first time the Apostle Paul uh, is mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of Acts. And his personal doctor or physician, Luke, introduced him as Saul, a zealous Pharisee who held the robes of those who stoned Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter... verse 1 Luke says this Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him but Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women he would put them in prison And so Stephen's death provoked Paul to go on this killing rampage, and it appears that he was the mastermind behind the the wave of persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and he saw the expansion of Christianity as a threat to Judaism, and that's why he went to the high priest at the time to get permission to go to Damascus which was north of Jerusalem, and bring back any Christians who had escaped his grasp during this ruthless roundup that he was involved in in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 9, Luke goes on to say, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, or Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem." And so Saul was trying to stay ahead of the rapidly uh, spreading flames of Christianity and cut them off at their furthest point uh, to keep them from spreading any further. And so the high priest provided Saul with a warrant for the arrest of fugitive Christians in that city so that he could return them to Jerusalem where he could, uh, they would be tried and, and, and perhaps executed. And so Paul had been given uh, the equivalent of a hunting license for Christians, and his mission was to exterminate christianity to destroy the church some of you may have uh, be familiar with the classic uh, story les misérables you may have read the book you may have seen the movie or the broadway production but i, I think saul could be likened to that self-righteous police inspector javert who, if you remember, relentlessly tracked down Jean Valjean, and he just—he was on a mission, wasn't he? And he was duty-bound to bring him to justice. And so Saul was consumed and, and compelled by the same warped sense of duty uh, that is until he had his unexpected encounter with Christ himself on the road to Damascus. And we don't have time to read it all, But in verse 3, it says this, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. If you remember the rest of the story, God had prepared another man named Ananias and said, hey, I'm going to, just so you know, I'm sending this guy Saul your way and I want you to lay hands on him, and I'm going to appoint him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Ananias naturally said, "Uh, well, wait a minute, time out, God. Isn't he the one that's been killing all of us? And you want me to do what with him? And so, sure enough, that's what happened. And uh, Paul became uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, it says that he um, immediately began after his conversion to proclaim Jesus to be the Son of God and boldly call all of the, the, his fellow Jews to repentance and to put their faith in Christ. And uh, they were obviously perplexed. What have you done with Saul? Who are you? And they were angered. They were annoyed uh, by his radical transformation. And so they plotted to kill him and uh, to take him out. And uh, his disciples helped him escape from Jerusalem. But I say all that because I want you to understand, we need to understand that from the moment that we meet Paul, he was a man on a mission. And after God supernaturally rewired his heart, as one of our elders mentioned yesterday, I thought it was such a good way to visualize Paul's conversion is that God supernaturally rewired his heart. Uh, He was still a a man on a mission. The only difference is that his mission had changed. He went from being the most zealous persecutor and destroyer of the church to being the most zealous defender and builder of the church. Uh, Initially, Paul's ambition, his aim was to squash the spread of the gospel and to keep people from becoming Christians. But after his conversion, his, his new aim, his new ambition became to share the gospel with as many people as possible and to help people become Christians. And here in this last section of his letter to the churches in Rome, he shared those ambitions. He shared those aims as a minister of the gospel. And we get a glimpse here uh, into the heart of this man whose entire life was dedicated to spreading the gospel and building the church. Now, just in the reading of that, this text, um, compared to the rich doctrinal teaching that makes up the majority of Paul's magnum opus here, the book of Romans. What remains here in the end of chapter 15 and then chapter 16 um, may not seem as significant, it may not seem as relevant, and I think it'd be easy just to kind of breeze, uh, breeze through these final verses, and, 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 and granted, while these concluding remarks may seem anticlimactic, they are a reminder. That what has sounded like a theological dissertation for the last two or three years that we've been studying this letter, it's actually a personal letter. In fact, it's very specifically a missionary support letter. And Paul's goal in writing this letter was to present the gospel to them, not so that they would get saved, they already knew the gospel. He wanted to present the gospel to them so that they would share his passion for the gospel and partner with him to bring the gospel to the unsaved, unreached people in Spain. In other words, what, he was, what he's been doing here in this letter is just sharing his heart for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I just want to point out here that what Paul says here in the conclusion uh, essentially echoed what he said In the introduction, there's lots of similarities with this section that we're looking at this morning and what Paul said at the very beginning in uh, verses uh, 1 through uh, 16. Um, Just for example, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, um, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. First, I thank my God through Jesus for your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. He said this, for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. I don't want you to be unaware, he says, brethren, that I've often have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also even as among the rest of the Gentiles and of course he says I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians the wise and foolish so for my part I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Russia. so I'm going to go and switch this would that be all right that'd be better so we're not cutting out so much all right is that working So Paul's personal introduction and and conclusion really serve as bookends of this theological treatise. And so we've learned a lot from the the doctrinal instruction of Paul, but we also can learn a lot from Paul's personal life. And so on the surface here, verses 15 through 33, appear that he's kind of just... He's just explaining the reason why I wrote the letter and, and mentioning his personal plans to come and see them, along with some prayer requests. But don't miss it that underneath the surface here, I think these verses reveal his ambitions, his aims, his passions, his priorities, his, his purposes as a minister of the gospel. This is really a window into Paul's heart. And apart from Christ himself, no one in the history of the church has had a more zealous heart for reaching lost people with the gospel than the apostle Paul. His life revolved around sharing the good news of salvation with those who have yet yet to hear it. And the the fact of the matter is, none of us would be sitting here this morning were it not for the ministry of the apostle Paul. Do you agree? I mean, we're here because of this guy, because of his fervent, faithful ministry of the gospel. And so, I want to look at his ministry uh, this morning with you uh, by way of an example to all of us. And you're like, well, this is just, you know, this is just for a pastor. This is just for a missionary or an evangelist. No, this is for every Christian. And and we all should share Paul's heart and, and, and share his passion. And And ultimately, what he was doing was he was trying to get uh, the, the, the churches in Rome, the believers in Rome, to partner with him in the work of the gospel. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing with us this morning. That he wants, to, wants us to partner with Paul and with all the other great men and women throughout church history, partner with them in sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so what are the features here? Features of a fervent, faithful ministry of the gospel well we're going to see Paul's perspectives in verses 15 to 21 we're going to see his plans in verses 22 to 29 and we're going to see his prayers really the prayer requests more is more accurate uh, in verses 30 uh, to 33. So let's look first of all at Paul's perspectives in other words how did he view himself how did he view the ministry? well first of all he viewed himself as a priest notice verse 15. He says, I've written very boldly to you in some points as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we've studied through uh, this letter, we've seen Paul rebuke the boastful Jewish Christians, excuse me. We've seen him, uh, heard him challenge the arrogant Gentile Christians. Uh, and we just recently heard him admonish both of them for being judgmental and condescending uh, toward one another with the weaker, stronger brother in chapters 14 and 15. So uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he was very careful here to to commend them and let them know that he was confident that they were capable of addressing these concerns among themselves. That was verse fourteen, right? I am myself convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. Um, but even though they were filled with knowledge, they had been well taught; they were well equipped. Uh, Paul knew they still needed to be reminded of the truths that they already knew. And, and that's really one of the, the challenges of being a pastor is to kind of teach the same things every Sunday and have people not realize it. <laughs> that you're just hearing the same things over and over again and, and you're being stirred up by way of Reminder. And so even a, a church that is well-taught, well-equipped as ours, uh, we still need to be reminded every week of, of basic truths of, of the Scriptures to be refreshed, to have them be reinforced in our minds. And, and that's what all the apostles, Paul said it uh, to Timothy, to Titus. He said, hey, remind the people that you're serving of the truth. And Peter himself said it's a joy to stir you up by way of reminder. Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 12. But I think the point here is what, what authority did Paul have to boldly address the believers in Rome? He had never met them. Uh, he had not been a part of you know, leading them to Christ or planning the churches there. He was uh, kind of uh, really, they didn't know him from Adam, if you will. And, and so, who was this guy showing up and, and speaking this way to us and calling us out? Uh, well, Paul said, it's really the basis of my authority is my special calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, God's grace, uh, if you think about it, it really just is simply defined as this, it's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, God's mercy is getting what, or not getting what you do deserve, right? God's grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so God uh, graciously selected a guy to be an apostle to the Gentiles who didn't deserve to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, here he was. He was the the, the the most self-righteous, Christ-hating, Christian-killing Jew alive at the time. And and God chose him by his grace to be one of Christ's apostles whose primary task was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul Paul understood that. And, and he mentioned that often uh, how he knew he didn't deserve to do what he was doing. Or to be who he was. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. In other words, Paul said, i get it god looked down and said okay who's the worst sinner on the planet and i'm gonna pick him to be the apostle of the gentiles so that i get all the glory because there's no way everyone's gonna say well that was just you know paul kind of had a change of heart and no this guy got radically saved and so god got all the glory and all the praise um and and that's just what god does and so uh We know that much of Romans focuses on God's plan of salvation and how it includes the Gentiles. And so Paul was the perfect guy to to write about this since he was the one specially set apart by God to minister to the Gentiles. So that's where his authority came from. But notice how he viewed himself as a priest ministering the gospel of God. So he, he likened himself to an Old Testament priest who had been called by God to perform a very sacred task with great devotion, with great dedication. And you know the the role of a priest in the Old Testament was to offer up sacrifices to God on behalf of the people that were, were brought by sinners to atone for their sins. Well, Paul saw his role as offering up converted sinners to God as a sacrifice as a sweet-smelling aroma to him. In other words, sharing the gospel and leading others to Christ was an act of worship for Paul. And and having this perspective really is a game-changer when it comes to to witnessing and and sharing the gospel, and and it really unites the two main purposes of the church. If somebody asks you, what what are the two main purposes of the church? Why does the church exist? Why does Lakeside Bible Church exist? What comes into your mind? You don't have to say, just think about it. I would propose to you, it's two things. It's to worship and it's to witness. I mean, those are the two purposes of the church, to to worship and to witness. And, And John Stott really pulled these two things together well in this statement he made in his commentary. He said this, it is when we worship God, glorifying in his holy name, that we are driven out to proclaim his name to the world. And when through our witness, people are brought to Christ, we then offer them to God. Further, they themselves join in his worship until they too go out to witness. Thus, worship leads to witness, and witness to worship. It is a perpetual cycle. The question is do we see that cycle happening here at Lakeside Bible Church? We should. If we're a healthy church, what happens? We we come, believers come, and we, we worship the Lord on Sunday mornings. And as we worship the Lord, it just compels us that we wanna go out and tell other people about this great God that we know and to share the good news of salvation. And so we go out there and we share the gospel with people throughout the week. And 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 then next thing you know, they we invite them to church and they come to church and, and somewhere in the process, they come to know Christ and they get saved. And guess what? They start worshiping alongside us and then they can't help it. They catch the bug and they gotta go out and get somebody else else than bring them in, right? Um, it, it's just that it's the, what is it? The, 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 the three G's we've talked about in the past. Why do we exist? We, we, we're here to gather, to grow, to what? To go. You got to make sure we never forget those are the three pieces of the puzzle here. And we're not just here to gather, you know, and hang out and enjoy one another's company and, and grow as a Christian. And that's it. Period. Stop. That's just, we didn't, we, we, that'd be like running the touch the ball all the way down to the you know the one yard line and leaving it there and not scoring the goal right it's going to touchdown it's it's like going is the that's what this whole that's the end game is to get out of here and go and, and share the gospel and so Paul saw himself as a priest he also saw himself as a power tool now I know that's corny but the guys can relate okay the guys can relate. A power tools. Like, who doesn't want to be a power tool? Man, that's like the best thing in your, in your, in your uh, collection of tools is your power tools. Uh, but notice uh, where I'm getting this from in, in verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul was simply saying, listen, I, I, I don't boast about what God did. Or excuse me, I, 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 I never boast about what I did. All I do is boast of what God did through me. So he was careful to, to give God all the glory for everything because he knew that God is the one was ultimately responsible for anything good that happens through us amen so and Paul wrote things like this first Corinthians chapter 1 for consider your calling brother that there are not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise by the way he's talking about us okay if the shoe fits, wear it, right? This is us. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. That's us to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world. That's us. And the despised, that's us. God has chosen the things that are not. That's us. So that we may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before the Lord. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Again, by his doing, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that just as is written, let him who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. And so Paul was uh, quick to to always boast in the Lord. And as he looked back over the 20 years that he had been an apostle, he was amazed. He was astounded at what God had done through him. But he never bragged about it. He, He never... Told people about all of his accomplishments. Hey, I, you know, I've led all these. I've led this many people to Christ, or I planted this many churches. I mean, you wouldn't get that from the Apostle Paul. One commentator said this: the people God uses to accomplish His will are instruments. And no Christian should take personal credit for what God does through him. No brush takes credit for a masterpiece. It was used to paint. No violin takes credit for the beautiful music the musician makes with it. And if we're gonna stick with the power tool analogy, right? Just to pull the guys in so they don't fall asleep this morning, right? Uh, Listen, you know, your power drill can't take credit for that job that you accomplished. That was you, right, using that drill, or that chainsaw, right? Chainsaw can't boast. Of, hey, cut that tree down. No, it didn't, chainsaw didn't cut it. You cut it down. Same thing. We're just the power tool. We're just the tool in God's hand. And God used the messages that Paul preached and the miracles that, that Paul performed to bring people to Christ, but he never tried to take credit for it. And I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, he was describing his ministry to the church in Corinth. He said, I came to you, When I came to you, he said, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In other words, Paul said, hey, it wasn't about my eloquence, it wasn't about my intelligence. It was all about the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says here uh, in Romans 15, verse 19. Notice he said, um, I'm not going to boast about anything other than what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles, which, by the way, is a synonym for getting saved. Um, We saw that. We'll look at it again here in chapter 16, but we saw it at the beginning, chapter 1, that Paul likened getting saved, being born again, as becoming obedient to God. And so this whole thinking that you can get saved and you can receive Jesus as your Savior and then never live a life, that your life never changes. You never obey him one day in your life and you're still saved, you're still going to heaven. Uh-uh. It's, it's obedience. It's part of uh, God grants you repentance and faith leading to a life resulting in a life of obedience in how you uh, talk and how you live in, by word and deed. But notice he says, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, So again, he's giving glory to God and specifically the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who granted him the the ability to perform signs and wonders to authenticate him as a true apostle of Christ. Now this always uh, creates questions in people's minds whenever you talk about signs and wonders and miracles. Let me just read for you a few verses and see if you can come to a biblical conclusion about how we should view signs and wonders and their role in the church back then and their role in the church today, if any. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Mark records here, and they went out and preached everywhere, talking about the apostles. This is after the Great Commission, where while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So Jesus sent out the apostles, the disciples, to share the gospel, and he accompanied there or confirmed the word by the signs that that followed. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul talks about the signs of a true apostle. He says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. He was referring to his ministry, that when I was with you, you saw me perform signs and wonders and miracles because those were the signs of a true apostle. And then in Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, I think it's a very helpful passage. It says this, God also was testifying with them, talking about um, the, the prophets and the apostles, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So God enabled Paul to to be able to heal people, to cast out demons, to bring people back from the dead even, just like Jesus was able to. And, And based on these miracles performed by Paul and the rest of the apostles, we can be confident that their teaching that is recorded here in the New Testament is the authentic, completed testimony of Jesus Christ. And so now that we have the, as Jude calls it, the faith once for all delivered or handed down to the saints, there is no need for further authentication today. We, we don't need, you know, I don't need to get up here. And you guys say, well, is that guy really a true apostle? Is he really? Well, number one, I'm not an apostle. There are no apostles anymore, right? The church, that was the, for the founding of the church. Ephesians 4 talks about God gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists. And then now we're in the realm of the pastor teachers, Right? And, and so now we're just building on the truth of what the apostles laid. The foundation of the church was laid by the apostles and prophets. They're, they're teaching. And so, you don't—I'm not an apostle. Number one, number two, how do how does God authenticate what I'm saying to you? It's very simple. This thing right here, and you guys be good Bereans, and, and if a guys up there preaching a message. And, and if you want to determine whether or not he's a man of God and he's speaking the word of God, well, make sure what he's saying is lining up with the scriptures. I don't need to say, hey, watch this, go around, and knock somebody on the head and have them fall over and start shaking and stuff. And you don't need that, right? We have all we need in the scriptures. And uh, I, I say that because I was driving up 45 this, this week uh, and I saw a big old billboard out in front of a church that said miracles and signs and wonders, and I thought, oh man, that's what they're trying to use to attract people to come to their churches. Wow, you come here and you're going to see miracles and you're going to experience signs and wonders. And I thought, how sad that, that really, and what, what, when a church focuses on those things, what gets undermined, right? It's all about the experience rather than the truth of the scriptures. And again, this is not to deny that God can do miracles and and still does miracles? I mean, who are we to put God in a box, right? I mean, he's the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. But it's clear as you study the scripture that the seasons in in the history of God's work and building his kingdom, that these signs and wonders and miracles came at these key transitional spots, like, for example, the exodus. God bringing his people out of Egypt and and at the beginning of the church age, right? And you see in the New Testament, uh, these things kind of taper off uh, in, the, in, the, in the epistles. You don't hear so much about, you see it a lot in the book of Acts, but then you don't see it or hear about it much in the, in the letters. And I think there's a reason for that. That's strategic. Why? Because today, the greatest miracle that God performs is the regeneration and transform, transformation of a lost soul. That's that's the miracle, right? The miracle that you're sitting here, right, as a, as a regenerated, born-again Christian, that is the greatest miracle that you'll ever experience. Um, and, and that's all because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one responsible for regenerating us and granting us repentance and faith. So because of that, Paul said, that uh, from Jerusalem and roundabout about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Man, that is a lot of ground that Paul covered on his three missionary journeys, right? We're talking about, there's, a, there's 1,400 miles between Jerusalem and Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania. Shout out to the stars. You knew that, right? Um, they served there for nine years. Um, and, and, and what was formerly the Eastern European country, Yugoslavia. Remember that? There used to be a place called Yugoslavia. Some of you kids never even knew that, right? Um, I'll never forget an amazing experience I had when I was a college student. Um, I, I got to go with Operation Mobilization, George Verwer. Some of you guys may remember that guy. a uh, Passionate uh, uh, missionary, heart, And he came up with this uh, evangelistic campaign back in the, the late 80s called Love Europe. And uh, so what he did, I think was 10 years long, and every summer he would invite uh, young people uh, to Europe, and, and when we went, the year we went, we went to Offenburg, Germany, and there was like 5,000 people from all over the world that had come to love Europe. In other words, to share the gospel With people all over Europe, and so we spent a week getting trained and worshiping, and it was just an amazing week at this uh, at this uh, like sports complex. And then I remember they all handed us keys to a van, and uh, gave us a map and said, "You're going here, you're going here, you're going here, you're going here." And our little trip happened to be to go down to the you know we had to suffer for Jesus on the Adriatic Sea, okay. And so we went, and our, our mission was we were going to go down and set up camp, set up tents, and, and camp alongside all these Europeans that would come down to the coast for their holiday. And uh, we were going to just interact with them for two weeks and get to know them and share food with them and share Christ with them. And uh, I'll never forget, it was an amazing experience, but to think that, hey, you know what? Paul had already been there 2,000 years earlier, right? Uh, sharing the gospel with those people. And uh, I was just kind of picking up the crumbs afterwards with that, that mission event. So Paul was a priest, he was a power tool, but notice he was also a pioneer. He was a pioneer. And uh, again, back in, in Romans there, uh, verse 20, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ had, was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So Paul had a pioneering spirit and, and and had a burden to go where no man had ever gone before and, and share the gospel with people who had never heard it before. So this is where we get the concept of a, of a pioneer missionary, right? Somebody that goes like uh, to, to some unreached people group and, and no one has ever gone there before and those people have never heard the gospel, gospel before. Um, this is not the same thing, but I still remember when I was... Uh, a youth pastor back at Grace Community Church, and I had been there for 10 years, and I was just, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, I had my notebook out, my Bible open, my notebook out, and I was just writing down everything that came out of the mouth of John MacArthur, and everything that came out of the mouth of anybody who was teaching anything. And, and I remember one Sunday night, after being there for about 10 years, I put my pencil down, and I just sat back in the pew, and I looked around, and I thought, this thing is like a machine. I mean, this, this is amazing. This is like a well-oiled machine. And, you know, there's probably 20 other guys... That could do my job as the high school pastor, you know, and probably do it better. And that was, uh, it kind of lit a little spark in my mind. I thought, you know what? I remember just gazing around and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool if the Lord might take me from here to a place that doesn't have a church like this, and maybe we could build a church like this. And uh, that was uh, that led to a conversation with Kelly and, hey, what do you think? That is it time for, to go? And we begin to pray. And next thing you know, John MacArthur is kicking me out of the nest and saying, you need to go be a senior pastor. I'm like, okay, I guess this is what the Lord has for us. And we end up here uh, in in uh, Texas and not knowing when we initially came here that we would be planting a church, a new church, a new work. But when people said, hey, where are we going to go? Um, where is there a church we can go to here within uh, a, a, a a doable drive uh, where we where it's committed to, to the gospel and, and, and to expository preaching and biblical eldership and regenerate membership and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I I, I don't know. I can't tell you. So, well, okay, let's start one. And uh, and that's what we did. And so uh, it, was, it should have been a joy. I never thought that would be my testimony, but uh, it, it was. I'll never forget that first Sunday uh, preaching at, at at Lakeside Bible Church in the elementary school over there. Uh, in Montgomery, thinking, "Wow, this is so cool! This is like we're starting from the ground up, and uh, I'm building on no man's foundation. And uh, and and if it doesn't go good, I'm to blame, okay? <laughs> if you will, because uh, I got no excuse. I can't blame some the, the guy before me, right? Well, it was his fault. That's why we're the way we are. It's like it is what it is. Now, it's not wrong to build on someone else's foundation. Obviously, Paul." was an advocate of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He commended Apollos. Um, you remember he was uh, really confronting the Corinthians, and he said this, for uh, when one says, I am of Paul, and another, of, um, I'm of Apollos, uh, are, are we not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. He said, I planted Apollos' water. But God was causing the growth. And so sometimes God calls people to be in a watering ministry. You're not the founder, but you're the one who waters things. And uh, so Paul uses the analogy of um, of, of a garden, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God ultimately causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you are in the process, whether you're the founder, whether you're the sustainer later on, you know what? God is using you to accomplish his purposes and he's the one who's doing it all anyway. And he gets all the glory and all the honor. So there is a place for people to continue existing ministries that others have started but we also need to keep in mind that let's not get comfortable like hey we're all comfortable here and it's and it's nice and cozy and and I don't like anything to change but we need to always be thinking outwardly and thinking how we could uh, serve and support frontline for frontline work in places where Christ has yet to be named and the way we do that is firstly by praying is to always be praying about what the Lord might be doing out there and 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 uh, you know how he might want us to be involved in a new work, uh, or financially supporting some new work, uh, or 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 a church plant, uh, or or perhaps sending people out to plant churches or, or to revitalize a church. I mean, that's something that we need to be open to as a church. That maybe perhaps that's what the Lord would have us do at some point in the future. I love David Brainerd. He's been a hero of mine uh, for years. Ever since I read his uh, prayer journal but I'll never forget reading about um, how he had this opportunity to be the pastor of a very prestigious, well-established church on Long Island. And, uh, I mean, you think Long Island's bougie now. I mean, it's like back then it was still kind of the place to be, right, uh, in, in, back then. And so he, he said no. And he turned it down and instead to live really out in the woods in New England in order to reach the, 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 the Indians who had never heard the gospel. Uh, he shared Paul's pioneering spirit there, which was a fulfillment, by the way, of Isaiah 52, 15. That's the verse that's quoted there, uh, verse 21, they who had no news of him shall see, they who have not heard shall understand. The hymn there is talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the, the suffering servant, and and what the reference there is to the fact that, that the ministry of Christ to bear our griefs and our sorrows and to endure the punishment for our sins on the cross it is too great to be limited to, to just the Jews. So, so Jesus isn't just for the Jews. He, he will be a light to the whole world so that salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. That was Isaiah's point there. He says it again in Isaiah 40, 49, verse 6. Do you realize that there are people who have never heard the gospel everywhere? They're in every country. They're in every city. uh, They're in every community. There are people, even here, believe it or not, I know this is crazy, in the Bible Belt. People that have grown up in church and they have yet to hear the gospel. They may have heard the word, they, they know the term, and so they, maybe they think they're good. Oh, yeah, I've heard that word. Yeah, I, I get it, the gospel. But they've never heard the gospel. You've got people in your subdivision who have not heard the gospel. Maybe you have people in your family, maybe people that you're going to interact with in a few weeks at Christmas time. You're going to go travel to see them, or they're going to travel to see you, and, and they don't know the gospel, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so hopefully as we think about that and prepare for that, we can share Paul's perspective here as a priest, as, as a power tool, and, and as a pioneer and long to see unsaved people come to Christ. Well, should I keep going? That's kind of a good stopping place, isn't it? I don't know what I should do. I'm going to get in trouble with my wife either way. Because she always says, why did you keep going? You just stop right there. Um, but I will tell my wife, this is kind of cute. I was, came down after my mic was glitching out there. And I came down after praying. She said, uh, Jesus told you to go back. I mean, Jacob went, told you to go back and see him. So she, she told me that Jesus wanted me to go back there. Because she was thinking about what I was just praying. <laughs> First thing came off her tongue was Jesus. I was like, oh, Jesus asked me to go back to, to the sound booth. I'm like, Wow. So it was you, Jacob, though, okay, so that's good. Anyway, well, hey, listen, this is an area that, in fact, yesterday, you guys may have not realized this because we didn't do a good job giving you a heads up, is that we spent the day together as pastors and elders on our annual retreat, and basically we go to somebody's house, sit in the living room for like eight hours and, you know, meet and pray and talk and strategize and cast vision and talk about the strengths and weaknesses of our church and... Just evaluate where things are at and what where we need to go from here. And um, anyway, one of the how our conversation ended uh, yesterday, I thought I thought we were winding down the meeting, thought it was about to end, and then one of the elders got laid it on his heart. Hey, we need to talk about uh, how we're doing with evangelism because we made a big push about that you know, at the end of last year and then into the beginning of this new year and then all of a sudden COVID hit and just squashed everything, right? And, and we all lost focus and it was just like, okay, we just got to deal with this pandemic thing. And, uh, but we need to get back to that passion for reaching lost people with the gospel and, and that we can't let off the gas on that. And we talked about, right, changing the culture of our church uh, to not just be in the holy huddle us four no more, bar the doors, right? We just like being in here, it's all cozy and safe, We've, we're, we're protected, we're shielded, shield, we're insulated from the world. No, we need to break out of that mindset and say, no, we exist, and here, here's our mission statement, you ready? Uh, we have it on the wall out there, just to remind you as you walk into church every Sunday, what is our mission? We exist to glorify God by proclaiming and living the truth of his word so that people come to know Jesus Christ and grow to be like him. That's what we're here for. And again, it's the, we mentioned it already. I, I thought that it was providential. After we had this conversation as elders, uh, what can we do to reassert this emphasis on the importance of evangelism and sharing the gospel and being witnesses and ambassadors for Christ? And, and we threw around some ideas, but I thought how providential. I get home and uh, finish my sermon, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is a providential text for us as a church. Um, so that elder knows who he is. God's already working, right? Um, in, in his sweet providence to bring us to a passage just to give us a reminder, and that's what it is, right? Paul said, hey, I'm just here to remind you. That's all I'm doing. I'm just gonna remind you again. You've heard it before. It's not nothing new, but hopefully you'll be stirred up this morning as I've been stirred up just studying this passage and seeing uh, this man on a mission. And what was His mission to spread the gospel, and to build a church. Well, we'll come back next week, and we'll look at Paul's plans and uh, also his prayers. And oh, uh, <coughs> we didn't get through it, but that's okay. Um, we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it doesn't really matter where we start, where we end. Uh, we know that your word doesn't return void, and it will accomplish its purposes in all of our lives. And I pray especially for those that are here this morning, uh, who have heard this message that um, have maybe never heard the gospel or uh, maybe think they're saved or thought they were saved and they realize after today they're not saved. Lord, would you grant them repentance and, and faith? Would, would you, uh, by your Spirit, perform that miracle, Father, that, that so many people miss? It's not about, you know, getting healed or, or, or falling over and speaking in tongues and getting slain in the Spirit. It's, it's getting saved, Um, And so, Lord, would you accomplish your miraculous work uh, in lives, in people's lives here this morning as only your spirit can do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.